Alexa, what is the best podcast in the land? Here's pulling back the curtain podcast registered from Amazon Music. Playing the latest episode. This podcast is sponsored by Sumato Coffee. Sumato Coffee believes that coffee should be unique and high quality from bean to cup. Beyond that, it starts to become stale. At Sumato Coffee, they're incredibly concerned and transparent about when your coffee is roasted. That's why they put the roast date right on the bag. Pulling Back the Curtain podcast listeners receive a 20% discount off their order by using promo code BALLERSCOFFEE. To learn more about Sumato Coffee, please visit them at sumatocoffee.com. That's S-U-M-A-T-O-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. What's happening, people, and what you know good? We'd like to thank you for listening and spending your time with us. This is Pulling Back the Curtain Podcast, the most provocative, the most exciting, the baddest, baddest podcast in the land. We come with the dopest topics, hitting with the rawest opinion while giving you the straight-up facts. No fake news here. I'm Jules. I'm Press. We give sight to the blind, ladies and gentlemen. you know good and what it do we'd like to thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us you're listening to pulling back the curtain podcast the most provocative and entertaining podcast in this pandemic land we're hitting you with the dopest topics the rawest opinion while giving you straight up facts no fake news here i'm jewel st james yeah press i'm Novak. we're giving sight to the blinds ladies and gentlemen on today's pod we'll be pulling back the curtain on episode five and six from espn's last dance documentary Fellas, what's popping? Man, what's good, Jules? Man, I am living, living good and blessed and loving Jesus. All right, there you go. Yeah, that's a good thing. You got to love somebody. <laughs> How's it going? What's going on with you, Nova? Uh, man, the usual, just working, uh, watching, <laughs> watching our city on uh, TMZ. That's about it. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't even want to get into that, but I, I you know where you're going with that, man. It's, it's crazy out here, bro. Crazy. I agree. Man, Jules, man, you got to get these guys in order out there. I will. Just as soon as uh, I get the green light, man. Right now, it's – I just – I'm just shaking my head. I'm just taking – I'm just reserving now. I'm just taking notes and waiting on that – Uh, when air raid strikes and then – I'm out, I'm out there. <laughs> when you when you get that sign, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be Eddie's it's gonna be Eddie's face in there like the bat logo. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Eddie all twisted off that off the series vodka drink. <laughs> It'd be the vodka logo. Oh man! Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> a, a logo of a car with the door open. <laughs> Y'all still man. Oh man! But man, dude, I'm 
glad we were able to chop it up, man. We're going to do that recap of, uh, you know, the last dance episodes uh, five and six. Before we get into it, uh, we want to dedicate this episode actually to the memory of Kobe Bryant and Gigi Bryant. Uh, may they rest in peace. Uh, you know, as we mentioned uh, on our first episode, Kobe was the last of the killers. So, you know, watching him speak about MJ uh, on the documentary, man, and just the way that, you know, he took on that challenge of playing him one-on-one, I mean, that was awesome to see. Um, I don't know how you guys felt about seeing Kobe in that documentary. It was surreal to watch it again. I just think, man, uh, Kobe spoke the truth. He spoke how he, he, he felt about uh, – about Mike, he said, if it wasn't for Mike, it wouldn't have been Kobe, as a matter of fact. He's, and uh, I thought that was real big of Kobe to say, because he could have been out and he could have said, you know, I, I talked to him, he gave me some pointers, but I worked on my craft and and and, and it's me. But he actually gave big credit to uh, to MJ, and that's, that's, that's big of him. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kobe, you know, he patterned his game after Mike, right? So... Uh, even Jordan, even when he was, uh, you know, kind of taking shots at Kobe with the, the Eastern uh, Conference uh, All-Star team, you can still tell that there was a level of respect in the fact the way Kobe came in at people and always wanted to challenge everybody. So it was interesting to see for sure. Oh, yes. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, when, like, echo off what you said, uh, Prez, uh, when, was in, when Mike was in the locker room, he said that boy, he said, Kobe, the little Laker kid, uh <laughs> he said the little Laker kid, he coming, he 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 taking it. He yeah, didn't he? He, <laughs> asked, he said he's taking it. <laughs> you know what? It's so it's funny too because uh he was like, Man, he was like, if if I was on the team with that guy, he wouldn't touch the ball, I'd freeze him out. And I was like, Wow, Mike. <laughs> right. He said he better get that rebound. Yeah. <laughs> But man, so Jules, uh, when you when you look back at the episodes five and six, uh, what was your favorite moment? Man, on episode five, I really like how they, uh, I really like how the 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 Nike deal got done with Mike okay. with the Air Jordan. Okay, I thought that was real nice to see because that was one thing I don't think anybody ever, you know, they talked about during his career how how it get how it got started. I don't think. I mean, it's been it's been a minute since '84. I mean, or 85 or something like that. So I just like how uh <laughs> I just like how, you know, my mom used to have a saying, a, a mother's no. And right. uh she she would probably call or something like that. And if I'm not feeling well, she said, Yeah, I I I know you ain't feeling well. I said, Mom, how you know? She said, Mother knows. And um, uh, and I thought that was cool with uh when Dolores Jordan, big shout out for, to Dolores, when she told Mike, no, you going to that meeting. Because yeah. he didn't want to go to Nike. He didn't want to go to Nike, remember? No, he didn't, because he, he wanted to go with Adidas. Right. You know, you know, which is cool, because that's what he, he probably used to accustomed to while playing over at, in North Carolina. Uh, but they they couldn't do a shoe deal. And uh, they, in the documentary, they said Nike was, was more like a track shoe, a running shoe. You know, so he did not like Nike, one of these, but his his peoples told him going out there for that meeting. They got that meeting. He said, okay. They gave him 250000 for that, that shoe deal. And, and you know, Yeah. And you know what was cool about that is remember what they said. They said the average deal for a shoe contract back then was hundred k. So Nike right. went above and beyond. Right. 
Oh, you're right. They 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 saw some they saw some at Mike that was like, oh yeah, he's and they projected the four year projection to sell three million three million dollars worth of shoes, and into that first year they sold one hundred twenty six million. Isn't that crazy, dude? That is that is bananas. That's bananas. Hey, the other thing too about that because you're right, right? When you thought of Nike back in the day, you thought of them being a track uh, company, right? Because they had all the mm-hmm. you know those distance runners and all that kind of stuff, the Oregon track team. Uh, so back then, I mean, that was kind of their claim to fame. Uh, yeah, and he put, other- he put put uh, Nike on the map, and then also I like how they get you know introduced and get Spike Lee uh, becoming director and, and film producer and stuff like that to to get Mike in, in the uh, commercials and also display the Jordans on uh, in his movie do the right thing and she got to have it and stuff so it was a good a good 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 uh way to bring in the urban community with basketball and stuff and I thought that was slick the way he did that well so you bring up a really good point uh Jules uh, going back to his parents, right? So Dolores, you know, basically mm-hmm. saying, Mike, you know, or, you know, you need to get on that on that plane and go talk to them. And also even to his father, James, encouraging Mike to take the deal because Nike offered Jordan stock in the company. Right. And, uh, right. Yeah. And so I remember listening to a story where Magic Johnson spoke about when he signed with Converse. And he only went with Converse because they offered him uh, the largest deal. But he said Nike also offered him stock, but he said he didn't know nothing about stocks. So he said, I just went where they were offering the money. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's kicking himself about that to this day. Man, yeah, when they when they offer you stuff, yeah, I mean, how many how, at that age, stock and bonds and stuff like that, who 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 would know who would know that not unless you was introduced to that game? True. But Mike was, man, hey, yeah, like you said, big shout outs to Dolores and James because it, good thing they was there because they they schooled Mike and they told him, hey, James said this is a good deal, two hundred fifty k and stock. Oh boy, please. Yep. Hey, we took hey, a run that where we signed. Yeah, and and you know what? And on top of that too, you brought up the point where Nike uh, incorporated Spike Lee into those commercials, right? So the the Mars Blackman campaign, and I think that was the shift yeah. of when uh, Nike became more of an urban type of phenomenon, that's when Jordan really changed the shoe game. So that's a really good, uh, uh, you know, that's good, uh, a good uh, favorite moment right there, Jules, because I think you hit on it pretty, pretty perfectly. That Nike deal was huge. Oh, it was, it was huge. It, it helped, it exploded. Uh, Spike Lee exploded. Mike exploded. Uh, 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 Nike uh, it, it incorporate the kids in the community, people that look like Mike and Spike over to basketball and, and vice versa and into fashion and shoes and stuff. So, man, that was, that was good around the board there. For sure. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely game changing when you think about it. I mean, that, you know, I do agree with you on that one, Jules, that, you know, the Nike, the Nike scenes were incredible because you guys to see something being born right in front of you. I mean, the, the, he changed the shoe game. I mean, it went from, you know, shoe deals were only for, you know, tennis players and <laughs> hockey players and stuff like that. I mean, they didn't have like endorsement deals like that. You know, basketball players, they thought weren't, you know, good marketing tools because you look back at the seventies when Kareem was wearing the, the K-Swiss and then they're wearing the Adidas and no one cared about what they were hooping in. They just cared about who the player was at that point. I mean, Magic Johnson kind of bridged that gap with the weapons, you know, which I think is some of the, the funniest looking 
converse of all time. Oh man! But but you know, a certain a certain few people in Chicago, a couple of our buddies used to wear them every day in school. You know, I'm not gonna say where that person is to wear those weapons. <laughs> <laughs> it's an issue. You know, we, we call them maybe, but anyway, <laughs> this dry snitch. <laughs> but, but man, you know, you you can get thirty in a pair of uh, weapons, or even a pair of those Jordan ones. Bless your soul, because when his feet were bleeding after going back to the garden, you know, in '98, that just shows you how much the shoe technology has evolved and how much he, how much he's helped change Nike at this point. Well, I mean, so Novak, you a hooper, man. I mean, you you have those shoes in your collection. I have them in my in my Jordan room. You wear those things. Those things are good for about an hour, and it's time to take them off. Like so, I can imagine playing a basketball game for four quarters in those shoes. About an hour, because you think about it. I mean, they lines that there's air in the sole. That was straight rubber back then. You know, there was no air in the sole of the Jordan One. I mean, only air is when Mike left the ground at that point. <laughs> okay. I mean, but those shoes, if you, I tried to play in them once. I mean, it's like trying to play in Air Force Ones. I mean, Air Force Ones are slightly more comfortable. But that's not a shoe. That's not a basketball shoe. That's a style shoe. I mean, the, the AJ One pretty much is something you can wear with jeans. You can wear with shorts. Yep. You know, it's 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 a it's a wardrobe piece. I mean, that's what it is. It isn't a basketball shoe. It's a wardrobe piece. That's exactly it, man. Man, that was a definitely that was a good that was a definitely a good call out, Jules. Yeah. Hey, man, and good looking out for Mike's agent, David Falk, man, to see the vision of that. Yeah, he did, right? Because I mean, to yeah, because they, they right, like 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 Novak said, they was a they was endorsing tennis players. Tennis Arthur Arthur Ash, <laughs> yep. man, Mister Ace himself, man, rest in peace, Arthur Ash, man. That was the truth right there. Yeah, he was. But, that throw, that throw was impeccable, boy. Yeah, that swagger man, for him to see the vision in that. That's dude. Hey, man, they 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 hit a they hit a. I it's not even a, a word what they hit, but they hit it. <laughs> Yeah, knocked it out of the park and changed the shoot game. And, and I mean, you think about Jordans in the culture, right? I mean, you got everybody. You got Skip Bayless wearing Jordans. I mean, like you mean Drip, yeah, Drip Bayless, <laughs> Drip. Dude, Jordan haven't played ball since what two thousand? Yeah, that sounds about right. About right. Two thousand, and he's still selling shoes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's culture. Twenty years later, man, time went by fast. He changed that whole culture up, man. I mean, think about it. When he retired, they thought <clears throat> they thought that Jordans couldn't carry on in that situation. That was not the truth because he got more popular in retirement. And now the right. fact that, you know, you do the last dance, all you're doing is setting that on fire again. I mean, because those AJ5s he dropped, OG8, you know, AJ5s that went crazy on the sales market. I mean, the fact that, you know, Kanye is doing his thing with shoes right now, but Michael Steele is the pinnacle at this point. I mean, he's selling shoes out even trying. And it's just retro and stuff that we had when we were children, and people are buying it all over again. You know, our age, our age gap, our age group is buying them, and also the younger kids are buying it. Because Mike is that Mike is that dude. I mean, people don't buy LeBron James shoes like that. They get them free at camp. You know, ain't nobody, ain't nobody lined up trying to buy no L, no 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 LBJs like that. I mean, you, they're not bad shoes, but he doesn't have that coat following unless you live in Ohio. You know, that's a good point. Do you think Zion's shoes, uh, you think his shoes will sell to that level of MJ? Yeah, because when you get the greatest player that ever played the game, you know, personally reach out to you to wear his shoe to carry on like the Batman, the Batman legacy pretty much. You think about it. I mean, he tried to be Wade. Wade just didn't have the 
I think that Wade came at the wrong time. Mike was still playing almost at that point when Wade came in. Yep. So it was hard to, um, you know, it was hard to live in that man's shadow and wear his shoes when he still could bust your ass. So <laughs> it's hard to do it. I mean, I think that Zion has has the ability to do it. I think John Morant would have been a better Jordan endorsement uh, candidate at this point because there's something about John Morant that, kind of resonates a little bit more to Michael Jordan's story. You know, he's a South Carolina kid, but he's still, you know, he's, he's still in that area, that part of the South where, you know, people love basketball and football. And and there's that dynamic between John and his father, just like the well, dynamic between Michael and James. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John would have been a better candidate to carry the mantle. But I think that – I think I think Zion would do okay. I think Zion's going to be like um, – He's gonna be a lot like Blake Griffin and how they how they do the shoot how they carries the shoe legacy. You know, Blake carried it long enough to get Chris Paul involved, and Chris carried long enough to get uh, Zion rolling at this point. I think the next big Jordan athlete ain't here yet. I think Zion's gonna do well, but I don't think he's the you know what I've seen so far. I don't think he's the heir apparent. He's gonna be a good basketball player, but it's unfair to compare him to Mike. Yeah, that's that's way too. That's definitely unfair. We we'll definitely get on get on to Zion on another podcast episode, but we all are agreeing that he needs to lose some weight and lean out a little bit. Yeah, he's in he's in New Orleans, man. A lot of gumbo, a lot of crawfish. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he he needs to put those beignets down for real. <laughs> you ain't put them down. He living with them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so Novak, what was your favorite movement from episodes five and six? That's probably the next rivalry. Just just watching, you know, just watching the interaction, you know, with you know the Knicks, the, the John Starks flashback, you know, you know Anthony Mason almost sucking himself off and his, you know, his legs went over his head, you know, that was crazy. <laughs> I was like, I was like, come on, how do you celebrate like that? How did that man at six eight two sixty fold himself over like that and celebrate? His 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 toes touched the court, you know, over his shoulders. That was pretty wild. You know, watching Stars get that fake dunk on Mike, that was probably like one of my, you know, one of my, one of my darkest moments as a Bulls fan, because you know, not liking John Starks as a kid and as a teenager and everything else, him getting any type of moment was just just not right to me personally. <laughs> yeah, I can agree with that. Also, too, that series I think was just as physical, if not more physical than those Pistons Bulls series. What do you What do you guys think about that? I agree. I agree. But the difference between that and the Pistons series is that the Bulls are more mature than they were when they first got Detroit. Yeah. So, so what happened is they came and tried to play that, you know, that new, that New York Nick grimy basketball with them. They were ready for it. It didn't, it didn't really slow them down and phase them much. They absorbed the contact and they gave back pain as well. That is true. Yeah. I think, um, I think battling with the, with the Pistons, the way the Pistons played, prepared the Bulls to, to like Novak said, to, to deal with it. It, it wasn't working. Uh, no. You know, Xavier McDaniels and Charles Smith and, and, and Anthony Mason, the boys. They were some big boys, I ain't going to lie, but, hey, Mike then was like, yeah, we've been there, done that. We the alpha dogs. Y'all oh, yeah. come here talking about that physical stuff. We can we can run with you. And they did, but it was it was a battle because they was down 0-2 now. Yes, sir. They were. They was down 0-2, and then, hey – they had to get it in gear because, man, down 0-2 in the series, that's that's pretty – that's that's that ain't nothing to sneeze at. So, 
So it's a good thing to get their acts together and 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 and, and sweeping them out when when they're four straight. And you know another thing too, when you think about uh, that series, uh, the one of the memories that I have from that as a kid was uh, Michael and uh, Xavier McDaniel basically you know going head up with each other that trash talk scene and Mike not backing down and Xavier McDaniel he was known for punking people you know in the league and Mike was not going for it one bit at all. <laughs> man, that's Michael Jordan, man. If he picked the wrong guy on that team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have got 85, Mike, but but you know, <laughs> you know, you know, 90, you know, 98 Mike was a different animal. And he looked at him like, what you gonna do? Yep. And you know, the thing about it was once he got to that, once he got that confidence in his body and who he is and how strong he really is. And you also did, that's the face of the league. He looked at him like, they're not going to let you hit me. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> right, right. Yeah, that too. Yeah, he was protected, he looked, man. Yeah, Mike's like, I'm not JoJo English. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who? <Where is> JoJo? <laughs> I still remember when Derek, Derek Harper launched that dude into the front, the front row. Man, JoJo ain't had no shine during the last dance. I ain't had one JoJo cameo yet. <laughs> no, sir. Not one bit. Not one bit. <laughs> so, so my uh, my favorite moment from those two episodes, I had a couple, but I'll just uh, just go with uh, one of them. It was uh, during the uh, the dream team uh, sequence when uh, Jordan Pip and the, and the whole damn team damn near were all against Tony Kukoc. That, that oh yeah, man, that scene right there, just seeing the look on Tony's face, he didn't know what hit him. That guy was so shook in that moment because he probably wasn't expecting for those guys to come at him like that, right? And well, he did. Yeah, he 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 didn't see that coming. And you you got Jordan and Pip, who were the king of petty back then, and Pip was salty <laughs> with the team because they told him to take a back seat with his contract negotiations, where they could go over to recruit Tony because Tony had a very lucrative deal over there in Europe. So Kraus was trying to work some magic for three years, trying to get the guy to come over. So Scotty did his feelings about that. And Mike's just looking at it like, we don't need this guy. So they basically, in their minds, are like, we're going to do everything in our power to make Kraus look bad. So we're going to basically make everybody realize that this guy's not ready for the league. But the thing that I did respect about Tony, he definitely took his loss. But that gold medal game, he brought it. He showed toughness. Mm-hmm. He scored 16 points, had nine assists. And I think in that point, he showed – that those guys that he could roll with them, right? So I think that he actually gained their respect in the way that he battled back. Oh, yeah, I echo that. I echo that, yeah, definitely. Because that first game, they said, Mike said, Mike and Scotty said, leave Tony, Tony, he, he's ours. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, boy, they put a lock on him. He only scored four points out the whole game. Yeah. And this is supposed to be your, your left-handed Magic Johnson, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, man, they – they, hey, he probably went in that locker room like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> he said, this is how they play in America? But you know what, though? I mean, the thing with Tony was, Tony wasn't a punk, man. He came from a war-torn country. So right. you knew he was going to come back. Yeah. He just adjusted his game like everybody. Okay, that's the first. All right. He even said himself, okay, the first game I was, you know, but the second, he said he didn't know what was going on. But that second game, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm coming to play. And he showed him. Hey, I, hey, I took my hat off to him like, what? Because you took a beating on that first one, Tony. Nah. <laughs> Man, he, he I, I didn't think he – he should have never came back. 
that man went in that chapel and prayed after that game. He went in there, got on his knees and prayed and said, why are they upset with me? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing about it was that first game he was shelled. So you got to understand, that's the 12 best players in the world, you know, yep. minus, minus Christian Leitner. That was, you know, was that was, you know, they came for him. I mean, like that was no average pickup game. I mean, everybody out there is the best of their teams in the NBA. So, you know, the fact he had four points was a major accomplishment in that first game because one, the speed and strength of those guys, they weren't used to that. I mean, you don't see that in Croatia. You don't see that no. in Europe. No. So, the, so the next game, what happened is they were more prepared because mentally they knew there's still going to be an ass beating, but you got to lose your pride. You know, they knew they knew they weren't going to win the game. They just showed up and played with a little bit more pride in that second game. I mean, Tony, Tony's parents, whoever, his grandparents, you know, whoever he prayed to that before that game, they helped him out. I mean, that's what happened there because it's the it was the same results. He just got 16 points. They shut somebody else down. That's what that was. Right. Uh, I mean, he did a good job of bouncing back. But at the same time, you know, it just was kind of messed up. He's wearing a Jordan jogging suit walking down that alley in Spain, all happy to see them, and they destroyed him on contact. <laughs> yeah, that, that Jordan warm-up, was, that thing was sick too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then you got to go play against him, and he looking at you like you wear my shoes and my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> he's ar- he's already won. It's <laughs> already one in your head. He already <laughs> he wearing, you try, you know, you're trying to be like Mike, and he's trying to kill you. Yeah, so true. Did you guys have any other moments from that? Uh, from those either of those two episodes? I loved. I loved. I loved. I loved the, secu- the argument with security when they're playing quarters. That was hilarious. And dude, that oh, took yeah. me back to us in high school doing that after lunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. so, sorry, mom, if you're listening. Uh, I, I definitely did still need lunch money though. So it wasn't just the, the pitching of quarters. Yeah. <laughs> We're just competing. <laughs> <laughs> But man, to see that one security guard with the curl, man, through the Jordan shrug hit me cracking up. <laughs> he he got Mike too, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He hustled him real good. <laughs> but that scene, I said the scene with the guy that he was gambling with, you know, what was the dude with the curl name? You talking uh, about Slim? Come on now. Yes. Yeah, I didn't well Mike said I didn't think he was a bad I didn't know he was a bad person. The man's name was Slim with a curl. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Hey man, let me ask you. Here's the here's the bigger question: How do you have a brother who is hustling on golf games? How you, a brother hustling on golf? Bro, they. You know what? I, I read a little bit about his story. He uh, okay. he was like a golf pro, but he taught himself how to play golf, dude. So they said there was a golf course in his town that he would try to go sneak into because you know they weren't allowing blacks to you know, be at the golf course. So he basically watched these guys, you know, play, and he taught himself how to play. And then from there, that same golf course that they wouldn't allow him to be at, he started teaching people there how to play golf, and he was hustling those guys for for money. So he's got a really interesting story. But he also also was a drug dealer, but that's minor details, but (laughs) – that's just off season. You know, it's yeah. cold outside. Yeah, he still got to keep it going. Take that golf money. He was trying to re up every winter. <laughs> yep. Well, I tell you, hey, Mike must have been hot boy because, uh, or hot not far as his golfing game, because he owed him, wrote him a check for 57 stacks. I'm like, damn, Mike. Yep. Leave that golfing alone, man. 
But that's a hundred. <laughs> but that's a hundred dollars to him. You know, the best way yeah. Barkley sums it up after the last dance, he go Mike losing a thousand dollars like you lose a dollar, and so. Right. Yeah, and right. I totally, I totally get it because you know everybody else is in shock. Oh my god, how much money did you lose? I'm like, not enough. Fifty-seven thousand dollars back then is probably equivalent to about he lost about two hundred grand today, a little bit more than that. Right. But it's Mike. He probably wrote that off anyway. That's why he wrote it off as a, a bit, you know, a business favor. That's what he probably did. They could have got him on the tax situation. Well, they they definitely tried to. We'll definitely uh, touch into that a little bit later on because yeah, there's a lot of uh, parallels with that story between Mike and uh, and Slim. Uh, Jules, did you have another moment you want to touch on? Oh uh, man, it was so much. Uh, you know what? I like the fact when. Uh, when when Mike was having, you know what? That's something we'll we'll, we'll talk about later on. You okay. know, so much stuff to get into, man. I I, I, I know everything was man. Everything was good. I just like every. I like the highlights when um. Uh, well, I always like the highlights when uh when they show Mike highlights and they they playing some old old hip hop and stuff like that. Man, I always like them them um uh, them footages there. Yeah, like uh, like Novak said on uh the the previous recap the, the soundtrack. Man, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy on this uh, on this documentary. I'm still not filling the I'm still not filling the trivia questions, but uh, but the soundtrack is <laughs> definitely, definitely on point. The uh, the moment that I wanted to bring up, and you definitely uh, feel free to jump in on this uh, that, that that practice uh, in '92 when uh, Magic and, and uh, Mike went head up with each other. I thought that was an incredible scene. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, because basically that was right there where that was like a battle of two eras, right? You had the guy that, that dominated the 80s versus the guy that was getting ready to take over the 90s. And Mike even mm-hmm. let him know, this is the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He sure did. He sure did. He, hey, hey, Magic Magic provoked the beast. He woke the beast up. He said, he said, Mike, you better bring Air, Air Jordan out because you're losing. They was, he said they was down by eight. And next thing you know, he was, they was up by two or something. <laughs> Well, yeah, you know how that go. I mean, that that goes back to like a, another documentary where, where where he really got in Magic's head during those workouts. And Magic, he told Magic there's new sh- Magic and Bird, this new sheriff in town. I mean, what that was, that was him asserting his dominance pretty much in the NBA. He already was that guy, but those other those other superstars didn't want to give it to him, so he took it. I mean, what he did was he went in there, you know, with the top fifteen players in the NBA at the time. And told them that I'm your daddy, and that's pretty much what went down. He told them I'm I'm the best player in the league, y'all gonna respect it, and pretty much you know he he was the leader of that dream team. I mean Barkley was the emotional and spiritual leader of the dream team, but Michael was pretty much the man. You know, Barkley was controversy. Mike was getting buckets, and Barkley was getting buckets mm-hmm. at elbowing and goalings in the chest. So, <laughs> so I mean you know it was. It was nice to watch. It was nice. It was nice to see him finally get the respect from the peers that he probably didn't get, you know, because they didn't see him all the time. But when you, you know, he's winning championships and you get to play with him every day and realize that he is real. And I think that's what that was. That was a that was a, that was a confirmation that he's that guy. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And that's that. Just uh, this is another example of Mike's killer instinct. And. uh that had to probably be one of the best practices in, in the in history of the NBA. I mean, you think about the talent on that court and how Mike just basically, like he said, he, he didn't pass the ball to anybody. He scored all those baskets down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, 
what was missing from that uh that team was uh was Isaiah. And we know uh Novak, he proud West Sider, you know, he 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 loved him from Zeke. Uh Novak uh, I, why, why was IT left off the dream team, man? A lot of people didn't like him. I mean, you you talking bird, you talking magic had beef with him because you know when Magic was diagnosed HIV, Isaiah didn't play that well. You know, I don't think he got I don't think he supported Magic the way Magic needed to be supported. I think also there were some rumors going around, you know, that Magic might have contracted it, you know, that you know, HIV in another manner. Right. <laughs> Besides, you know, sex with the prostitute, whatever in that regard. So I think there was there was a lot of gossip that was going on. This is before TMZ and before social media, and I think that Isaiah was the center of that gossip, you know, according to a lot of people. I don't know what was said. I was, you know, during that time period, but something definitely was said. I think that him getting love off the dream team is because the other players had issues with him. It wasn't just Mike. I don't think Mike controlled the ultimate decision, but I think when you thinking Malone, Bird, Stockton, <laughs> you thinking all the players, all the other stars didn't want to play with him. So that, that was just more of a cultural fit thing. They left him off. Yeah. Definitely. Man, I think uh, I echo off of what uh, Novak said. Just they didn't like him. And and let's be honest. I know Mike said he had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Mike, you had something to do with it, man. Just go ahead and say it, man. And stop playing with everybody's motion. But no, no, real talk, man. The, uh, like, uh, well, you know, what Mike Wilborn said, you know, Isaiah, he got into it with teammates. You know, he was with the with the bad boys of the uh, Pistons. He was with the Pistons. They had a uh, bad rap. The way they did Mike and him was bad and stuff. And, um, you know, he was fighting uh, uh, other teammates that was on that dream team. And what Michael Jordan said made it made sense. You know, the 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 environment and the and the 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 what the what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, you just you just throw throw everything off rhythm if he had if he had Isaiah Thomas there. Now could that be the fact? Could be, but you know what? Who actually knows, man? I I don't think we'll ever find out. But it was interesting that Rod Thorne uh, basically even admitted that nobody would have been on that team if Mike didn't want to be on the team. I thought that was a pretty telling comment. Right. Right. That's why I was like, yeah, Mike, no, man, like you know, because he was like, who's who's all on it. Who's gonna be on it? And then exactly. Um, and then when he said that person's not gonna be on it, he said, "Cool." So, so you know, it is what it is, man. I mean, he didn't like the boy. He even even Mike said on the on the thing yesterday that he didn't like him, but he respect his game. And, and you know Mike, what? Mike's the man, and it seemed like at that time, wherever Mike wherever Mike said go. So. Yep, and to to echo off of what Novak said earlier, I don't think it was all on Mike. I think you you guys hit both of you guys both made that point. When you look at that team, Mike mentioned that the team had a lot of camaraderie. It looked like they liked hanging out with each other. They definitely seemed like they had a good time. And I don't see how Isaiah would have fit into that mix. I mean, he had a lot of beefs with a lot of guys on that team. Him and Scotty didn't really deal with each other. He had the 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 thing that he had racially with Larry Bird and then those rumors with Magic that were spread about him with the HIV, and then we already know where him and Mike, you know, stand. Because Mike, he let it be known in the documentary. He basically said <laughs> to the offense of when he came to the Pistons and the Bad Boys, he said, I hated them. And he even said right. that hate still carries to this day. That's a strong quote. 
That's yeah, it's very strong because it's it's it's, it's forty years later. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, Mike. <laughs> but uh, but to play devil's advocate here in the situation, if Isaiah yeah, talk to us, Novak, then talk yeah. to us. If Isaiah had been allowed to be on the dream team, say they didn't split John Stockton, right? So John Stockton's a died man out in this situation, right? And they bring Isaiah to camp. Say he gets there and they do hammer out these differences. The NBA's landscape looks totally different, and this documentary has a different tone because I think. I think him being on the dream team, if he had been on the dream team, I think they could have hammered out a lot of these issues and differences, to be honest with you. I think that, you know, as you know, grown men sometimes, you know, the drama that we have amongst each other can all be worked out either either with a game of cards or a game of basketball or any sport in general. And I think if they had, you know, if they had all got in the locker room, I think there would have been some hard moments. You know what I mean? There'd been a lot of cussing, fussing, maybe an elbow to the head or something like that. But I think that Isaiah Thomas has been welcome back into the fold. I think it just it just I think the opportunity for redemption was, you know, wasn't wasn't allowed, you know what I mean? And I think that translated into a frayed relationship that's forty years old. Cause I think it could have been, you know, you can fix anything if you want to in those situations, especially relationships in sports and life in general. But I think um, it just it just was an opportunity. All right, I, I mean, okay, so I I, I feel what you're saying there, but I think the thing that I think about with that, so you think the Stockton would be the odd man out if you put Zeke on the team? Because obviously it's not going to be Magic. No, no, I, def- I definitely agree. I mean, I think, I think, I think it's, I think it's definitely Stockton at this point to be the odd man out in that regard. Because if you think about it, um, Magic Johnson. You know, Magic Johnson was there, and Larry was there, kind of spiritually. If you know what I mean, they weren't in the, you know. Magic Johnson just made an announcement by HIV. Uh, I think that the problem with, you know, the problem with Larry Bird is that his back was failing. So those guys are there more as a as goodwill ambassadors, you know, I mean, at that point in time. So if you take two goodwill ambassadors in that situation and you leave a healthy player back in the States who had problems with everybody on the team, you know, it was obvious. You know, it was it was kind of it was kind of hard to hide the elephant in the room at that point, if you know what I mean. No, that definitely definitely makes a lot of sense. I think too, when you look at this this situation, just you know, at its you know at its apex, uh, Isaiah, this, that whole being left off the uh, the dream team, you could tell that hurt him. You know, he even mentioned when he was doing some of those interviews after the episodes of the Last Dance uh, from the week before, he said this was the only thing that was missing off his resume, and it hurt him. Mm-hmm. You know. And he even said, basketball-wise, he was like, he fit the criteria to be a member of the team. So I do agree with that. But, you know, as we know, relationships matter in this world. So he didn't have the relationships, and, you know, that's that's kind of how it uh, rolled for him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike didn't want him on the team. Like you said, he, you know, he had two, he, two, two-time NBA champion. He's an NBA uh, final MVP. You know, he, he fit the criteria, like, as you said, there, Press. So why not have this board? Why not have this man on the team? And who you, you say? What John Stockton? Yeah, and John Stockton. John yep. Stockton was on. What, what has he done? Well, I get that. John, and well, you know what? John Stockton was one of probably top top five point guard in the league. You know, he had the he has the assist uh, record, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but what, for him, what compared to Zeke? Okay, that's fair. You know what I'm saying? Compared to Zeke and what Zeke had brought to the table, that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to get. That's at. fair. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, you do kind of feel a little sorry for uh for Zeke in that in that in that way because it's like, oh man, he fit it. But you know what I'm saying? The man of the NBA was Michael Jordan, and that man didn't want him on the team. That's all. That's all it is. We won't have, we won't have to talk no more about. No, uh, you're totally right about that. <laughs> uh, so one of the things from this episode that really uh, got me excited, and I know it probably did for you guys both, but especially you know that because this guy's got a, a shoe collection out of his world. But the different shoes that you saw Jordan in over the course of that documentary was it was incredible. <laughs> I mean. Wow, like seeing those uh, the, the Olympic shoes, the, the ones from 92, those were dope. I mean, there were so many great shoes uh, in that in that documentary. But when we bring up that subject of, of, of shoes, I have to kind of push back a little bit on Mike. What were you guys' thoughts on the comments that he made about Republicans buy sneakers too? That's a very controversial uh, moment in that documentary. I'm going to turn it over to you, Jules. What, what, what do you think? Ooh, man. Ooh, when I heard that, I was like, ooh, you know what? Mike was immature politically. Politically, he was immature. Uh, so in North Carolina, it was a runoff between Harvey Grant and Jesse Hams. Now, if you know this backstory on, on Jesse Hams, he was against Martin Luther King Holiday, and he was against the Black Museum, uh, Black Museum having a Black Museum there in North Carolina. Uh, there's brought up Mike was asked about about that, and he he he, you know, he said he's not a politician. He's, he's a basketball player, and politically he wasn't he wasn't ready, and politically he wasn't uh, mature about about the answer. He just said, you know, hey, Republicans buy my shoes too. Probably just 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 bull jiving. Okay, all right, but the, you get a little backlash. They was like, oh man, what's up? With, you know, of course in, in our community we, you know, Michael Jordan, he's our hero. You know, if he like it or not, he's he's our hero because here's his figure. He's larger than life, and he's a brother. He come up, we can relate to him because he come up in the same same place we all come up. So, but then you don't have to pray old forty four Barack Obama on there, and then he he had spoke he had spoke good. You know, he said he he would love to see you know Mike just go against Hams on that. We all would, you know, at the time, all the blacks, blacks wanted him. But he was still trying to figure out how to handle his image and, you know, how to how to manage it and how to live up to it. And I think that's that's all. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't you know crucify Michael over that. He just hey he just want to play ball and he didn't want to get into politics. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I th I think it's more it was more of a maturity thing in that situation. Plus, you know, you think in terms of like. You know, you think about NBA players back then weren't very political, you know, as they are today about certain right. things. And some are too, some are over political today. I think that, you know, the issue, the issue there, Mike had a certain responsibility to take a stance in that situation. But, you know, the powers that be, you know, money talks, bullshit walks in that situation. I think that, um, I think that decision made for Mike not to get too involved also came from the top. I, I can see Nike at that point not wanting to go into politics and not wanting to have a player that, that vocal at that point in time. Mm, I think Mike, I think Mike, I think Mike had an opinion. You know, today is different because you know you're near a Kaepernick, you're near a LeBron, talking every day socially about something. Even if he don't know, have even have all the facts about it, he gonna say something in that regard. 
but at the same time, I mean, I think um, I think Mike had a very powerful platform he could have used differently in that situation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, as as I know of politics and everybody knows of politics, politics make strange bedfellows in those situations. I mean, Mike helping out Gant would have been the right thing to do to try to see uh, you know Hams in that situation. But also, you know, that's a bit of pandering, you know, to play devil's advocate. There's a bit of pandering going into that situation. Because if Mike comes out of woodwork and, you know, and helps Gant win that seat, which he could have probably could have did in that situation, then, you know, it would have been a little bit element of pandering in that situation. First, we don't know what the relationship between Mike and Gant was. I know he donated money to the situation to try to soften the blow. But at the same time, you know, just because you black and he black doesn't necessarily mean you like each other. I mean, that'd be like, you know, that happens every day. I mean, there's, you know, there's other people, other races don't like each other. And they don't necessarily, you know, go out and endorse each other in that situation. So it's a hard, it's a hard, you know, call on him basically to make it look like he was being a prick about it because we don't know all the particulars. We don't know how much money was involved, how much politics played a role in it that we couldn't see. But we know that Mike could have did a little bit better with the situation. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I think the thing for me when I look at that situation uh, with Mike, that was his hometown. Uh, Jesse Helms was notorious for his racist rhetoric. Mm-hmm. He uh, spoke out against the Civil Rights uh, Act. Uh, he actually called it the single most dangerous piece of legislation ever introduced in Congress. So for me, when I look at a situation like that, I I honestly think that Mike – while he didn't have an obligation to do anything, I think that he, he should have helped. Uh, I think in that situation, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, do the right thing when it comes to, you know, getting someone that's dangerous for the overall good of the, of the people, as opposed to, you know, what you're trying to do with your brand, right? So we know at that time, uh, Michael was a global icon. He was trying to build that brand with Nike. And I actually agree with you, Novak. I'm sure that that decision came from above him. Nike probably wanted him to stay neutral, right? And just kind of stay out of the fray of that stuff. But I still think that he, I think he owed it to his hometown to do a little bit more. I mean, but at the same time, you know, he chose not to get involved and that was his right to do so. Uh, So the big thing that I look at with a situation like that is, you know, if you look at recent years, Mike has been more outspoken. He's uh, he's actually backed, you know, the Black Lives Matters, uh, you know, movement. He's donated a lot of money to different social justice justice causes. So when I look at Jordan, I kind of see a guy that actually sees that maybe he could have done more earlier in his career, but he's actually stepping it up now and actually trying to, you know, make some good. So, I mean, what do you guys think, you know, when it comes to some of the things he's done now? I agree. I agree in that situation. I mean, because, you know, it, it just, I think, I think right now he's more comfortable in his own skin you know, opposed to like what he went through, you know, being under the, you know, under under the bright lights as a player in that situation. He, he's how he was uncomfortable at times with that responsibility that was put upon him, you know, pretty quickly. Compared to like you look at LeBron James today, and yeah, he deals with this stuff. Mike is pretty much like, you know, like Mike is pretty much like the, the blueprint for how these athletes are dealing with things today. And that, that goes back to Muhammad Ali, that goes back to Jim Brown. How they took, you know, they took, you know, so, stances on social social justice at this point. I mean, I think that you know, Mike's doing a good job as you know, as an older as an older you know, famous athlete right now. 
I think these young athletes are more vocal because that you know the generation the generation after that pretty much is uh, is more geared toward change opposed to you know Michael and Charles's generation. They were more about trying to make money and be a part of the status quo. I think this generation is more vocal and angrier because you know you know they you know they came you know they came about you know they came out to the crack era they came out to the coke era and stuff like that but it's still rough you know you think about it and there's still a lot of political uh, injustice going on right now but i think that i think mike's doing a better job i mean i think i think lebron odell beckham's stuff the world more vocal but at the same time they can't lose sight of the bigger picture you know sometimes you know you got to play a certain game in order to get to where you got to go i think mike played that game for them in order to have this social platform yes. Damn, you hit it right on it, man. Novak, I was just about to say that. I said, man, you hit that right on the head, dude. Uh, you, you know, like I said, you have to play chess. You have to play chess, and you know, in this game because when he was coming up, yeah, he's larger in life. He was getting his money and stuff like that. But we don't know the ramifications on him speaking out on some of these uh these situations here, and you know, the people with the money. Who's buying these things now? The majority is is is, is putting them on the map now. And we have to you have to play this kind of close to the chest because coming up, how many who who's buying who's buying these shoes? Who's buying these clothes and stuff like that? And so, you know, we we might have it now, but I think the majority of it probably come from from different races and stuff like that. Who was actually putting in the you know putting in and buying these these outfits and clothes and shoes and stuff. Well, and if he, okay. if he if he goes against, you know, if he goes against some of this, that and people start seeing that side of him as 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 today, as people say, of being woke or his black card, then I, that might that might would have messed him up. It might. I'm not sure. I'm just out just paraphrasing here, you know, and we don't know what what would happen. Will he be large in life now or, you know, so. I, I think I echo what you said. I think he 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 was he was trying to uh, try to stay neutral and try to not to really go into go into politics on that. Well, the one thing that I'll just push back on real quick with what you said there. I remember when we were coming up, and there would be kids that we went to school with that were on reduced lunch, but they had every pair of Jordans when they came out. So I don't necessarily agree with you that the other half were buying these shoes. I think that in our community, we were spending our last money a lot of times to buy the warm-up suits and his shoes and whatnot. And I think at that time, there was criticism against Mike saying he could have done more for our communities. So I do think it's fair for us to bring up these points about could Mike have maybe done more. Uh, I, I still remember Craig Hodges. Uh, when he was on that first uh, Bulls uh, Dynasty run team, he wore a daishiki to the White House to try to bring awareness to some of the, the inequality that was going on in the NBA. And we haven't heard from Craig Hodges since. He got blackballed from the league, kind of like what's going on with uh, Colin Kaepernick. So mm -hmm. I do agree with you guys making points about you never know which way it went. But you see one guy that basically he, he wanted to make awareness. He wanted to make a change. And then you see the way Mike – kind of went about doing things. He kind of kept that neutral stance and kind of just said, you know what, I'm not going to rock the boat here. You know, and those people buy shoes too, so I'm just going to kind of stay out of it. So, I mean, like I said, he had a right to do that. I just think that maybe he could have done more. Right. I I feel you. I, I, I agree with you. I, I feel you, uh, 
of Derek Parrish. It's just, you know, uh, some some cast, some, you know, players or, or, or actors or actresses or singers or whatever, you know, they want to, you know, get their name out there, build that money up. And then, and then, like you're saying, Mike, now he's donating, he's donating everything. I wish he donates me, but and now he's, <laughs> he's, he's hitting people up. He make, he, make, he got his money. He got yep. his money. He he's worth what two billion, two something billion dollars. So he he good. Um, you know. So so yeah, that's where we at with that. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I feel like with this 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 uh, topic, it, it's definitely a hot button topic. You know, when you talk about this, and I will say this: uh, I don't want to be in a situation where I want to put an athlete and say that they need to be doing more than what a politician is supposed to do, because let's not forget, these are the people that we vote in are supposed to be fighting on behalf of the people. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to put everything on an athlete, but I just think Mike had, man, he had a profile and power and influence that you probably won't see again. I mean, LeBron has a certain level of cachet and he kind of throws that power out there, but I think Michael had it to a, to a major level. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I mean, I think he had a he had a bigger platform. I mean, plus he's more well liked in the situation. I think I think LeBron, I I think when Mike it came natural, you know, Mike's presence is natural. You know, like you know, whether you like him or not in that situation, he ain't forcing it. He ain't trying to like chase clout. He's not seeking your approval in that situation. I think that I think with LeBron and these, these new athletes, just like they're more sensitive. And they're trying to fit in, you know what I mean? I don't think Mike tried to fit in. Mike, you know, Mike created the curve, you know, in that situation. These guys are trying to fit into his shoebox, you know what I mean? And they're, you know, no matter what they do, they're chasing that ghost right now, the ghost of that, you know, that that athlete, you know, right now, the one that, you know, they all want to be like. But the thing about it is they all want to be like and they want to be better than but the question is can they catch them? Right. Socially they can, but – Athletically, no, not even possible. Athletically, LeBron, you might even say LeBron is more woke, quote unquote, woke than Michael. But how much of that woke is really being woke? How much of that's just saying, you know, saying what's, you know, what's sensational at this point? And or, I think, yeah. or how much is it is it pandering? Uh, I say a good deal of it. I think Nike, I, I think Nike's approach now is to be woke and be political, and we stand with, you know, we stand with Cap, and you know, they pay Cap a lot of money. You know, it is what it is. And I think that I think it's a movement right now. No, you're definitely right. I mean, I think they put that whole uh, campaign uh, behind Cap. They sold shoes, and those things sold out in a couple hours. I think did they even re-release his jersey? Like so they. They've done a lot to try to capitalize off of that movement. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, you're right. I mean, what they what they're trying to do is just try to create a different narrative. I mean, you know, the media now they realize you know the master the, the way they master the media now is by controlling the, controlling the narrative, controlling the message, and that's what Nike's mm-hmm. doing right now. They're controlling the message. Absolutely right. Well, so one of the things too that that really stuck out to me from that documentary was a lot of the uh, the media scrutiny that Mike faced uh, after you know after that game two in New York where he decided to go to AC with his dad and he was out turning up to like two three in the morning. Uh, the big thing I saw there was Mike looked like he was not able to handle that media scrutiny. He was getting frustrated with it, and it just made me wonder. Uh, 
when you look at the age now that these players are having to play in, you look at a guy like LeBron or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant even, uh, these guys, they face a lot of scrutiny on social media. They're in that social media age where everybody, you know, can take a picture of them or take a video of them and immediately post it online for whatever the heck these guys are doing. So they never have privacy or anything like that. So when you look at a guy like Jordan and some of the things that he may or may not have been involved with, do you guys think a Michael Jordan would have survived this this social media age? No. no. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Novak. Go ahead. No, because one, you know, one, Mike is not super technical, and I don't think he care about tech. You know, so you're asking somebody that didn't grow up in the era of just social media, you know, social responsibility, social accountability from a technical perspective. I don't think he would have survived. I think it would have been perfect for Charles Barkley or somebody <laughs> because he would have tweeted and talked trash all night. Mike was too into his own world to really care. He's like Lil Wayne. You know how Lil Wayne said he doesn't know what's going on in the world? He's like, he's basically like oblivious to what's going on around him because he don't care. I think Mike is one of those people. I mean, I won't say it's self-absorbed, but it's like he just not, he's not aware and don't care unless there's something really big going on in the country. I think he would have struggled with it. He probably would have retired, he probably would have retired after 10 years if that went down in that situation. And I think, um, I think, you know, only only athletes like Barclays and, and Gary Payton's would have been really good at it. Definitely a Gary Payton. Oh yeah, he have been bigger than life. No, I think also, like, uh, oh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead, Jules. I, I think, I think Mike, the type, like, like you said, Novak. I think the type of uh, person Mike is, he, uh, and how, how large in life he, 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 he is, and everywhere you go, there's fans, and there's he, you know, there's fans, there's, there's interviews, there's press conference, there's you know, deals he got to make and people got to see and kissing babies. And and this man is just, just don't have any time for himself. Now you do that and he's human. After all that, you know, man's human. I know he's here at Jordan, but, and he have, and he have days. He have, have bad days just like anybody else. And it just take that one bad day of him going off. Him slapping somebody, well, he, he did slap somebody, but you know, you know what I'm saying. You know, you know, it'll take one good time. He going off on some some reporter who just keep asking. We seen the documentaries. How many times they ask him? Is this your last last uh, year? Is this your last year? And do how how many times you gonna answer that question? But you know, he he's a professional. He's a he's a, a ball player, and then you know they want to know and. The, so he held himself gracefully. But nowadays, man, people just videotape you 24-7. Everywhere you go, he, he wouldn't last, man. He wouldn't. Now, you also have to think about the fact, too, that Jordan pretty much got to kind of do his thing, right? So he didn't really have people messing with him. The media protected him, especially here in right. Chicago, Right. So right. Jordan was known to hit the clubs. Nobody messed with him. Nobody wrote anything about him. They kind of let him be. But can you imagine Jordan now in the clubs in Chicago with Instagram and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff going on now? No. <laughs> he, he would – I mean, they got that one picture of him over there with that stogie in that club twer- twerking and stuff. I mean – Oh, down, down at U of I when the song was playing down there. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, everywhere he go, he'll be somebody be posting something. Nah, he, nah, he'd have been he'd have been buried somewhere. You wouldn't even see Mike. He stopped talking to the reporters on on on, on, on him in Atlanta City. What do you think he gonna do if uh, everybody keep uh, videotaping? You know, and the other thing too, uh, uh, Jules, you know. It's a wide-known fact just from watching this documentary that when Michael's on the road, he like to go to the local casino or he might like to go out and have a couple drinks or party or whatever the heck may be going on. And he even admitted, I saw an interview that he did a few years back where he kind of talked about how Tiger Woods got caught up in the social media age. And it's a lot of the pitfalls that happened with Tiger. And he even admitted himself, he's like, man, he's like, I don't know if I'd have been able to have played and been at the high level during this age of you know social media, so he right. even admitted himself that he thought he would have had a difficult time navigating. Yeah, he did say that. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, we got to think about it. He was he was getting annoyed with the local media asking him questions about retirement. <laughs> That's the worst that he exactly. had to deal with. <laughs> exactly. When are you retiring? I was getting upset too. I was. I'm just watching the damn document. I was like, God damn! How many times <laughs> you want to ask this man that? <laughs> he told you he don't know. <laughs> that's that's the media. Yeah, they were hoping he gonna say something new today, and that's the crazy thing about it. I mean, they do it to everybody. You know, even even forty five does. It sucks with the media. I mean, in that situation. I mean, it's you know they were hitting Mike up every time they could touch him, and you know you know then the gambling stuff started up, and they started going after the gambling rumors and stuff like that. I mean. I personally think that, um, you know, what he do with his money is his money in that situation. If he want to buy mm-hmm. 20 hookers and he want to, like, you know, throw money in strip clubs, which guys do today, they go to strip clubs and make it rain, and social media is right there with him picking up the dollars. <laughs> I, mean, yep. Yep. I mean, I just think that his gambling, his competitiveness is um, it's on parallel with somebody who has an obsession with something. His obsession was winning. Some people's obsession is Painful butt, you know, going to strip clubs in that situation. So, I mean, I think it's just what it is. I got no issues with his gambling. It's just, um, he, you know, he's a, he's a very strong-willed person, and he want to win. No, definitely, exactly. And the one thing, too, uh, that I saw from that documentary was just it looked like he had a ton of pressure on him. I think, you know, that whole being like Mike thing, you know, you got to think about it. People thought, like, man, that, he had, probably has the best life ever. But they really couldn't tell, like, this guy, the most famous man on the planet, and he probably was dealing with so much, so many people trying to get access to him, family, friends, and everything else. I mean, you saw, you know, how he basically had all those ticket requests, and he was pretty much, you know, running the whole ticket situation with the team. I mean, Randy Brown was coming and begging for tickets, and that was kind of funny. But Yeah, think, right? Yeah. I just think that, though, that, that fame could be a huge trap. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Definitely. No, go ahead, no bet. Go ahead. No, no, definitely, definitely a big trap because you know everybody's looking at him for like guidance or I need a ticket or my mama here to see you. I need you to kiss the baby. I mean, a lot of that stuff was a trap because if he ever got too tired and he didn't, he lost control of his reality. Then pretty much his, mm-hmm. his reality could turn really dark all at once. And I mean, it's just that you know none of his thoughts are private. His time belonged to other people. And when he was laying on that couch inside the hotel room, he like he was the happiest person on earth for like five minutes. 
That's what it got down to. I think that it was starting to burn out. Right. He said that. Uh, he said he want. He want. He might not even even miss the game. He said, "From we that that hotel room is the most peace that he ever gonna get because when he when he leave that room, it's a circus. It's a circus. People pulling on you, yelling your name, and want you to do things and talk and autograph and and like I said, kissing babies. I mean, uh, like I said, he was he's a he's human being. He's a human being. And he have emotions. He have feelings, and he get tired." And like the prayers, you, you was right. You hit it on the head when he said he he got burnt he got burnt out. That Knicks yep. series, yep, he, he was on too. He wasn't playing good now. You know he was decent holding his own, but the the the, the couple of them games he he was off. Yep, and and man, and it takes a and it take it takes a it takes a toll on you. Hell, hell who wouldn't? So yep. I like I like how Mike's father step in and talk on on, on behalf. Say hey, listen. You know, Mike give you the best. He sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself for everybody. You know, and after all, people still want to knock him down. So, you know, it's just, it's just. I'm glad that uh, the whole his 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 out. Yeah, I guess you know his outlet is is gambling stuff to kind of take, you know, some of that edge off. And we all need that sometimes. Hell, what Dennis do? Dennis went to Vegas. Uh, kamikaze. Yeah, right. It's kamikaze time, right? <laughs> he went to Vegas. See, Mike was in the beginning. He was drinking orange juice. Now he drinking beer after the game, wasn't he? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Man, no, so it, it takes a toll, man. It was no more orange juice. In, uh, it was in no ninety one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't drink. I don't smoke. And drinking Miller. He smoking. He smoking Stokes and drinking Miller after the game. So yeah, man. I mean, a man human, man. You know what? Also, another thing I just thought about. So there was some friction that Mike had with some of his teammates over the years. So you see that they they thought that Horace Grant was leaking information to Sam Smith and the Jordan rules. Uh, they, there was rumored that that Mike had, uh, had punched Steve Kerr and also Will Purdue. So if you in this clickbait society that we have now, that's another thing right there that I just don't think that Mike would have survived because he would have had a lot of those teammates with his team basically trying to leak information to the press to, you know, kind of mess up his uh, standing in the city, you know? I think so. I mean, if you look at what happened uh, with LeBron James and Zelante West, you know, I mean, (laughs) you know, it's very similar. I mean, if plus Mike's affairs or whatever he was doing or this chick or that chick, it would have got leaked quicker because, you know, he would have been in somebody's, he would have been in somebody's DMs today. You know, and it would have got leaked that the you know the, the greatest player of all times in my DMs. You know, that's the ultimate prize for somebody trying to be somebody in this universe. You know, uh, he, you know, I, I definitely think Horace did something. Horace looked too greasy up there talking about it. And you know, <laughs> you know and I'm looking at Horace and I'm like, greasy. he was looking real greasy. I mean, he like he was like lying pretty much. Like, yeah, I, I ain't saying nothing. Sam and I are friends. You know, I, I ain't doing anything. I mean, you know what? Horace in that situation like somebody to owe you money and making excuses for why they're not paying you back. Mm-hmm. That's all that was. You like that big Horace, kid that had a big candy. Well, Horace was a little bent out of shape, wasn't he? he was yeah, he got real bent out of shape. Yeah. Right. You know, he wasn't getting all the praises and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. Wasn't that good? Horace, yeah. Horace, quit the dining, Horace. 
You know you said some some stuff. You spread some rumors, man. That book. I mean, he was a he was an average power forward. I mean, I mean, I mean, all star games that Horace Grant made. I don't think he made any for Chicago, did he? No, Orlando he did. I think he did with Orlando, right? Yeah, but at that point he was, you know, he was he was a senior statesman in the NBA. It was about the fault. Coaches thought he worked hard, and the players, you know, you know, nobody's voting him into the All Star game. And he was, and he was playing next to Shaq. Yeah, that ain't hard to do. I mean, a seven foot, three hundred pound monster, and all I got to do is go get the rebounds after they just jump Shaq's back. At that point, I mean, Shaq made his life a whole lot easier. He went down there to try to. To try to be with another superstar. That's what he did. He went to Orlando because he saw I can get a championship down here, and it didn't happen. You know, when they got by the Bulls that one year in the playoffs, and they thought they were there. No, they weren't there. No, I mean they, they it, thought it. That they you, thought, you, you remember they carried Harry oh, Horace off the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That lameness. Yeah, that was some garbage. <laughs> garbage. Yeah, carried him off the court. Yeah, he should go. He should go work with Sam on another book. At that point, he, he'd be smart. <laughs> well, so Sam Smith, he's got a job with the team now, so he's not. I don't think he's gonna be writing any more books. Mm-mm. That's why they put him on the payroll. They're just yep. like this dude is too dangerous. He'd be hanging out with players, buying them kamikazes, and getting all the getting all the gossip. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> yeah, he getting all the he getting all the juice. Mm-hmm. Getting all he, of it because at that time, like you said, like uh. Sam Smith, he he was like, man, Mike was this this baby faced athlete, you know. They you only see this one side of Mike, and it was like, no, oh, it's another side. Yeah, and that's what you know. It came what to number five of of uh, top uh, booksellers list. Hey, mm-hmm. people was people was was man, we want to know some dirt now. What's going yes. on? And yeah. that might be the reason why Jerry Cross was was acting like that. Might be. Yeah, you, you never know, but uh, Sam Smith definitely pulled back the the, the curtain on uh, on MJ, didn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. so, that was crazy. Yeah, he was the the modern day whistleblower there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 hey! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, so another thing from that that documentary is uh, something that I've been wondering this whole time is with Mike. Uh, retired. I thought it was premature the way that he retired because he was still at the top of his game. Do you guys think that uh, Davis Third suspended Michael secretly in 93? Or do you think that Mike was just really burnt out on basketball? He was burnt out. I don't think he suspended him. The reason I, the reason I don't think he suspended him in that situation is because uh, it just it would have been too controversial for them to do that at that point in time. I mean, why would they kill their cash cow? You know, why would they go out to their uh, their deity at this point? I mean, Shaq was around, Penny was around, but they weren't strong enough at that point to carry the league. You know, they were not the, you know, the bearers of the torch. You know what I mean? They were great players, but they weren't strong enough to help the NBA sustain. I don't think they, I don't think they suspended him. I think he felt uncomfortable with them asking questions. You know, he felt like, y'all don't trust me, and why you ask me these damn questions? Um. I don't uh, to piggyback off of, uh, Novak, and then also with Mike's pops uh, getting murdered. I th- I think I think that's what what did it. Mike, you know, he he was under a lot of pressure. You know, he even said himself, it, "It's is you know, people want to live a week or a day or a month." He said, "Won't you try living a year?" 
under my shoes and stuff like that, my shoes, and you you wouldn't want it. He said he didn't. He said he he, he didn't want it. He don't know about basketball. And with his with his father end up getting murdered and stuff, I think that's what made him mad. I think just that just broke him because that was his right hand man. His father is always with him and stuff like that. I, I think for anybody, it would have it would it would it would have changed him. Um, also, after the three peat, I think he even said himself, physically and mentally, he was just he was drained. So I, with this happening with with, with James, uh, Jordan just it just sealed a deal for him. Like you know what, I, I he he couldn't do nothing. He couldn't do it anymore mentally. When that mind is gone, it's kind of hard for that body to to keep to keep going. So that's that's what I. That's what I truly think probably what 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 led to for Mike to retire. I think the thing though that I push back on both of you guys on is just the fact that why would the face of the NBA and a global icon on the best team in the league who was known for having an enormous uh, competitive drive, why would he just suddenly walk away from the game and retire in the middle of his prime? I think, yeah, I agree with your points and the fact that he might have been exhausted, but Mike isn't the kind of guy that shies away from something like being tired or, you know, or any sort of a challenge. It, it just kind of, right. it, it seems strange to me. Right. But, but see, that's why I said about with, with uh, his father being murdered. Cause we don't right. know what that do to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, how you handle it? He probably, he, he probably just couldn't handle it. He said he needed, he needed to walk away from this. Was he the reason that his father got killed? You know what I'm saying? Now, see that now. Now, see, Jules, now you now you now you talking now. There you go, right? Because yeah, what was that so about? Because that because the so whole you say, you know what? I gotta take a step back from this. You know, so, so you you taking another level. You like, hey, that might have been some guilt, right? Because, like you said, Mike was so secretive and stuff. What he was doing was was anything that he was doing led to for for James to be murdered? Because let's let's be honest, that's. Everybody know that man. If you if you came across James today, you know, oh damn, that's Mike Pops. And then you're gonna take his car, dump it somewhere, and he 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 you know kill him? Dude, what? Come on, man. Michael Jordan? I, and I and I'll tell you one thing. They said James was known for not coming home and he would, you know, frequently sleep on the side of the road when he would be tired because he'd be maybe drunk or whatever the case may be. Nobody ever touched him because they knew that, that was uh that was uh Mike's dad. Right. So that the circumstances around his death have always been a little questionable to me. Right, it's a mystery. And then we'll, like I said, we don't know what what that did to Mike. That that Strada broke the camel's back right there. So he, like you said, this man was competitive. This dude, like you said, he 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 everything he do, he gamble and he want to win. He played cards hours for with, with Magic. You know, what I'm saying flipping quarters with the security guards, uh, uh, uh golf. You need to leave that golfing alone, man. It's terrible. <laughs> you know, golf. Everything you do is it's all competitive. And now he's just the greatest grab, like you said, the greatest basketball player ever. Uh, and in his prime, he walk away. Man, come on, man. Some ate some ate at that some ate at that kid, man. Some ate at him, and he couldn't go on. In my well, opinion, I think I think it's I think it's losing your father. I think is the way the media treated him up until that point, you know, I think that also you gotta stay competitive. When he had won, you know, when you when you win three championships, right, 
in that regard. And you know, you do something that the other the others couldn't do. They won back to back, but they never won three in a row. I think at some point he's looking for another challenge. And I think also, you know, it was a way for him, you know, to walk away at a point where he felt like there's nothing else he could do at that point. I think that Mike wasn't thinking six championships at that point. I think he was tired of the, the light. You know, he had got to that highest point out there. And, you know, he just got, you know, I think, I think every athlete has aspiration date. And, you know, the sad thing about it is you don't know when it is unless you're, unless you're lucky enough to be a Kobe or Michael or somebody and walk away when you want to, you know what I mean, in that regard. And you know when you wake up that morning that this might be the last time I do this. And I think that's what Mike knew when he we hit that last shot out there. You know, we thought that was the last of Mike. You know, we also thought that was the last of Mike when he won the third championship. But it wasn't done yet, you know, in that situation. But he was definitely done after he won that third championship. He was out. He was out of there at that point. I mean, you know, you can see his body language. He did not give a shit anymore. You know, you're fighting cross. You know, the, the Bulls, like, the Bulls are telling you, you know, the Bulls at that point were trying to get a lot of drama with Scotty's money, a lot of issues with them trying to bring Tony Kukoc over. There was too much water under the bridge. He needed a break from the from the craziness. Okay, I can see that point, but one more thing I'm going to push back on you guys on. So you guys remember that the NBA uh, launched a formal investigation into Mike with the, the rumors with the Slim. Also, there was a guy out of California that claimed that Mike lost like $1.25 million to him gambling in golf. And so the league was basically going to investigate to see if Mike had broken any sort of league rules. And then four months later, Mike mysteriously retired. At his retirement press conference, someone in the media asked Mike, hey, would you come back? And Mike's exact quote was, if the urge comes back, if the Bulls will have me, and if David Stern lets me back in the league, I may come back. Now, that quote to me has always stood out, and I've wondered what the heck did he mean if David Stern lets me back in the league? Mm. Was, that a, was that a slip of the tongue? I don't think that just might be modest, I think, in that situation. That's just Mike trying to show some type of empty with the people that ever said that he was leaving the game. That's the way I look at it. I mean, if the Bulls had me, that, that just basically means that, you know, considering the fact that they didn't have a good relationship, you know, he never had a good relationship with the Bulls organization. It's the, that relationship went south in, in, in 85 when he broke his foot and he came back. And then with the NBA, I think the problem was, you know, I think there was some talks about, you know, seeing Mike being an older star at that point, getting a little bit older. They might have been at a point where they had another star. And maybe, and maybe, and maybe that wouldn't have been a space for him in the new league. I don't think it's gambling related. I think it's, I think they were looking at Shaq. There, you know, you know, you had Grant Hill at that point. The question is, could he still be? Could was Stern let him be the face of the league again? That's the way I looked at it. You know, you never know at that point because the NBA has its own like uh, pecking order. I mean, I think Mike. I think Mike's time was. They thought Mike's time might have been up in their eyes. You know, after he won the three championships. I don't think anybody ever thought he could win six. So I think they looked at it like he did his part. Because they Magic won two in a row and won three before that. They thought Mike was done at that point. I don't think there were high expectations for Michael Jordan to keep winning championships. I think I think he he exceeded all expectations by getting six. I I, I could I could see that. I just think for me, man, and I and I definitely. Um, 
I get where you guys are coming from. I just think for me, it just seems, man, it's, it, man it's, even when we watched that as kids, it just – that whole press conference, it just didn't feel right. So you, think, you, know? so you, you, you feel like it's, 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 it's somebody behind the curtain that's pulling the string. Yes, yeah. Telling Mike, hey, 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 Mike, you know what? You didn't did some dirt. You didn't messed up, man. You know what? You need to take a few years off. I yeah, I think personally, I think David Stern and Michael Jordan made a secret agreement we, we, we for, for Mike for Mike to go away for a little while to get out of the to get out of the NBA landscape to keep his name clean, right? Because as soon as Mike retired, the league dropped that investigation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, they dropped the investigation because he's no longer a player of interest. He, he was no longer a person of interest in that situation. I think that uh, I think they they dropped it out of respect at that point because they didn't realize he was going to retire. I think that he pushed the strings on that one. So you think? So you think he jumped the gun on them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I think they could have suspended him eventually over this stuff and the gambling. They could have made it. They could have you know they could have disciplined over the gambling and told him you can't do it anymore. But that's Michael Jordan. That's like telling him that he can't smoke a cigar. And I think that Michael wanted control of his own life at that point. I think that, you know, I don't think they suspended him. I think they might have threatened him secretly behind the scenes a couple of times over the things that was coming up because you understand that was a more family driven NBA at that point. You know, when 80% of your fans are, 80% of your fans are not African Americans <laughs> at that point and what they exactly. the product you put on the court. Has to be wholesome and clean. Can't you know? It's not. It's like what the NFL is trying to do now. It was just a problem. The NFL is all about the no. You know, they don't want this ghetto mentality. So they're trying their hardest to bring in and screen these players and bring in players they want on the field. The NBA tried to do that a little bit in the nineties, but then they went. Then we went through the jersey era. We went through the baggy clothes era, and then they went through the you gonna wear a suit era, and now we back at the at the Balenciaga and, and, and tight clothing era right now. So the NBA is still – the NBA is the trendsetter in terms of what's acceptable, you know, in sports at this point. Uh, you, you're definitely right about that, though, man. Definitely right. But, man, I think this is a, the good, a good point to go ahead and move over to our, our final segment, the curtain call. You want to take it away for us? All right. One of the things I want to definitely talk about, this podcast is dedicated to Kobe Bryant. And, you know, you know, Kobe Bryant's, you know, legacy will always be with us forever in that situation. There were a lot of memorable things that he said during the, during the uh, episode uh, five and six. You know, just hearing him talk about the comparisons to Michael and who would have won one-on-one in that situation. And hear Kobe answer that question with grace and elegance was just beautiful. I mean, it's just one of those things. Um, he talked about, like, if there was, you know, if Mike – you know, if there were, you know, if Mike didn't do the things he did, there'd be no Kobe. There'd be no five championships because that big brother, little brother dynamic is real. I mean, it was realer than any fake relationship in today's NBA where people on banana boats and try to pretend like they're buddies and everything like that. <laughs> I mean, um, that wasn't going on. Those two had a genuine, a genuine bond. You could actually see it in Mike's eyes at Kobe's memorial service that they shared a lot of moments together that we would never know about. And I would say, like, you know, you know, the spirit of competition and seeing Mike's fire and then seeing Kobe's fire after Mike's fire, you know, those are legendary moments. I mean, those, you know, people always scream about who's on their Mount Rushmore of basketball and I always scream that if you got if you got Mike up there, you got to throw Kobe up there, you know. <laughs> the other guy, 
The other guy out there is wearing many jerseys. You know, <laughs> you know they want to throw them up on the Mount Rushmore. But I always say it's about substance and people being real who they are and people being able to like people for the fact that the killers in that situation. I think that um, you know Kobe, Kobe Bryant definitely legacy is definitely be felt for years to come. And I think that every day Mike's on this earth pretty much. You got to represent. You, you got a part of Kobe with us every day. Yeah, that's I, that's definitely well said. I definitely uh, echo that a hundred hundred and twenty percent. Rest in peace, Kobe. You you definitely were the last of the killers. Jules, hit us with that final thought. All right, my final thought. I was while watching the the documentary. I Jordan said something that kind of kind of kind of kind of spoke to me in a in a, in a, in a negative way. I, I wasn't say negative, but it was it was alarming. He said that. If he can do it again, he wished not to be a role model. You know, that was, I was like, whoa, kind of took the air off a little bit. Because um, he said, you know, in this, in this, in this game, it's, it's stacked against you and you will lose. Now, I want to say we need role models more now than ever. If I can talk to some real people in life. You ain't got to worry about this game because you're always winning. Uh, for athletes who feel this way or politicians or actors or singers, hell, even preachers or teachers, your everyday working, working class folk, you can be a role model because you are, you are that man in the arena. You know, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deed could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who faces, who face is defigured by dust and sweat and blood, who strive fearlessly, who makes mistakes, who comes short again and again. But there's no effort without error or shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds. Who know great enthusiasm, the great devotion, who spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best know in the end, the triumph of high achievement. And who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails during greatly. So that people that place should never be with those cold and timid souls who never knew victory nor defeat. Now this final thought is quoted from our 26th president, Theodore Roosevelt. All right, thanks for that final thought, Jules. This is a great show, gentlemen. Episode eight in the books. We wanna thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Once again, you can find our podcast on Red Circle, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Peace.